This is College Football Weekly. College football like you've never heard it before. Now, here's Will Chambers and Tyler Walgy. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to the show. I'm Will Chambers. To my left, Tyler Walgy, professional better. Tyler. Hello, Will. He's coming. Uh, we're not in the studio. He's in foggy London town, apparently. Yeah, what's going on? It's, uh, hello. I thought my volume hello. was a little off there. We're, we're dealing with some volume issues today, so I'm going to do my best to produce this thing on the fly. But hello, Will. You want to talk a little college football, mate? Hello. Yeah, funny, isn't it? Yeah. No, how about... Uh, how did you feel about week four? I want to. I want to know. You know, what's actually funny is I heard a sideline reporter this week have an English accent, and it was really weird. For what sport? <sighs> college football. No, I don't. Yeah, it was what a network. What are you talking? I've never. I, I, I watched a lot of college football Tyler. Yeah. I've never seen a British sideline reporter. I think it was the SEC network. No, there's. That, that, I'm not there's even kidding. No way. I'm not even kidding. Yes, and he the had people a of the south are not cool <laughs> with it some. Was the south. I'll have Some to find it for you. But jolly British mate I talking about SEC football. It was it was weird. I gotta yeah. say, it, yeah, yeah. So it threw me off guard. Are you sure? I, that, I, I would. Uh, <laughs> I'm positive. I feel I like I would have seen something about this. I would have heard about. Have you seen this? Do <laughs> you think about you would this? make the national news? I Bra- mean, breaking news. I feel like it would have made Twitter news <laughs> if there was a British dude doing silent I'll have, reporting. I'll have to find out who it was because there was certainly a British guy this weekend talking about football. Okay. Yeah. It, like football football or soccer football? <laughs> college football. None of this makes any sense to me, but okay. All right. That's cool. Hello, big college football, Will. Uh, what'd you think about week four? Like overall though? Good. I mean, a few surprises here or there. A few things. I know we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the Auburn game today, but I had a few takeaways, and my main takeaway is Bo Nix is going to drop off a cliff soon. Really? Yeah, Auburn, a top 10 team. I think they finished the year with three or four losses. Um, he's completing about 53% of his passes this year. He went 12 of 20 for 100 yards in the win against A&M. Yeah. I'm just not seeing a consistent quarterback play that, that, yeah, but that do you they, see with national championship contenders. Does Auburn need that? I mean, like right now it seems like with their run game and their defense, well, they I mean, be, it they might be, not be enough to beat. Alabama or LSU. But that's what I'm talking about is okay. they go to Florida in a week. I think they lose that game. They go on Ooh. the road to LSU. I think they lose that game and they play Georgia. I see those being three losses. And that's the thing. I'm not saying Auburn's a bad team, but a lot of people have them contending for the national championship at this point in the season. I think that's a little bit too much. So. Yeah, maybe slow your roll with that one. But uh, overall, um, entertaining weekend as always. And I've got a few things throughout the show that I'm going to bring up to you that I kind of... I already got one out of the way, the British accent. I'm going to have to find out who that was, too. Yeah, honestly, the, I, I like... I'm, you know, the, I, I, feel, I, I want you to know... You just don't believe Yeah, me. that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying, is that, uh, you know, I love you. Uh, we've been friends for so long. I don't believe you at all. I feel like either you were sleep-deprived or maybe some kind of uh, drugs were involved. Who really I knows? Alcohol? The only drug I've been doing lately is coffee. It's like my new thing. Yeah, I know. I'm hopped up all the time. Yeah, I still got to get you an insulated mug so oh, your coffee Hopped up hot. on cinnamon swirls. Yeah, <laughs> that, that'll do it too. Um, Seinfeld reference for you. So should we just get into it and get this out of the way? The... Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's the, Michi- uh, the Michigan Wisconsin game. Oh, I do. I mean, to be honest, I wasn't even planning yeah. on starting there, but that seems like an obvious. Place I mean, it was start. one of the biggest games of the weekend. It was supposed to be. A How do you matchup. feel about that one? Look, I mean, look. Uh, there's a there's a couple. I like, no by halftime. I obviously like everyone else. It was I knew it was over, and so there's part of me that's like, obviously. I mean, look. The main part of me as a Michigan fan is just super disappointed and pissed off and upset and just. I'm tired of this shit. I'm so tired of of 
how Michigan looks in big games, especially on the road. And but then the other part of me was like, well, like at least the pressure is lifted. There's no more pressure for the rest of the year. Like I don't have to go into every game nervous anymore <laughs> because and at this point I'm expecting them to lose against any good opponent. I mean, I think they really suck. And so, yeah, I'm expecting them to lose every big game. So the pressure is off. So if they beat, you know, Penn State, awesome, great. That'll be like a, a great surprise. But I'm not going to lose sleep. I'm not going to be nervous the night before going into the game because I'm going to assume they're going to lose that game. I'm assuming they're going to lose any any game against a team with a pulse the rest of the way. I think it could be – I think they could end up with six losses legitimately. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't, Okay, so last week we talked about do you think that Jim Harbaugh would ever give up play calling duties? Yeah. In, what is this law? Does that change your mind at all this week? Because uh, you were adamant. Oh, yeah, I was. <laughs> well, it, everyone had been talking about it, you know, all off season long. It's been a huge topic. I still don't think so. I don't know how you can, when you have a new system that's uh, that's full on spread, even though it looks like total shit. It's not good right now. It's not. It's really weird too it's because awful. it just looks so. Yeah, it looks like they don't know what they're doing. Michigan. It, it, they, they get out there. Right. They give up a long drive where Wisconsin's just running it down their throats. And you think that Michigan would come out with a, let's hold the football. Let's put, I mean, they're just throwing it. It seemed like they're just well, like... They, I mean, they got forced into it throwing like it Madden. pretty quickly when they were down because then you kind of, ha- you know, most game theory is like once you're down 21 points, you kind of have to throw to get back. Right. When were they down 21 points, though? Like, Early. What was the score after the first quarter? Uh... First quarter, I'm not sure. I think th- it was either. Uh, I think it was it was either 14 or 28 nothing first quarter. First half was, uh, ex- excuse me, it was either seven or 14 first quarter. The first half it was 28 nothing. Yeah, let me pull um, up right now. Um, I think it was 14 nothing. I think they scored 14 in both the first and second quarters. Yeah, 14 nothing after yeah. the first. So I mean, yeah, you nailed it, man. Um, it's got to hurt even harder for Harbaugh because Wisconsin beat them playing like you know the style of football that he really wants to play well and, um, and that's the thing you figure he's on the sidelines just ripping his hair out because again they came out and even in the first quarter first they just came out and did the same thing it's like they didn't look like this offense just looks bad man it's well, they so were, weird uh, the first quarter was more just frustrating i think because so wisconsin goes they score on their very first drive right they just you know uh What's his name? Justin Taylor, JTT. Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor Thomas, JTT. <laughs> um, he comes out and looks awesome. Their offensive line looks awesome. They dominate Michigan on the first drive. And that's not actually that uh, – like even last season, the, the season before that, Don Brown's defense is, you know, historically at while he's at Michigan, they would give up a, a first drive touchdown all the time. And then they'd kind of adjust and shut teams down. And so after the first touchdown, I wasn't freaking out. I was like, okay, whatever. Don Brown will – Get this adjusted. And then on Michigan's first offensive play, it was like an 80-yard pass. Yeah. And they went all the way down to the nine-yard line. And then they just like, uh, what, what were they thinking? So they bring out Ben Mason, who was uh, a fullback the last two years, who they converted to defensive lineman. They had said, there's no fullback in this offense anymore. We're going spread. So they bring him out at halfback, and they have to burn a timeout immediately because he's never taken a snap on offense this year. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. So he comes out. He doesn't know what he's doing. They burn a timeout. Then they run two plays. On the second play, they hand it off to him, and he fumbles. And it's like more, just more of the same this year. Like I think they've had nine or ten fumbles this year, and they've lost six or seven of them. I mean, it's been ridiculous, right? So they had a chance to tie it 7-7 there and then maybe have some momentum. Ultimately, I don't think it would have mattered because it, you know, they just look like garbage on offense. There's no chemistry. There's no identity. They don't know what they're doing at all. And so this, I mean, this Josh Gaddis hire – 
is just looking worse and worse and worse. And everyone was all hyped up about it all off season. And I definitely bought into that. I was like, great. You know, we're bringing in this spread guy. We have so much talent, which is true. They do. I mean, they re- return four out of five starters on the offensive line. That was pretty solid last year. They've got talent, a wide receiver. The running back spot was kind of a question mark, but whatever, you know, they have some recruits in there. Generally, that's a position that if you're going to have a question mark, running back's not that terrible, right? Usually if you have a good offensive right. line, a good quarterback, you can just kind of make it work. And so, yeah, I mean, they just don't, they don't have an identity on offense and the play calling looks terrible. Shea Patterson, uh, who looked pretty, pretty good last year. He is, he looks uncomfortable. He looks like he doesn't know where, where to throw the ball. Uh, he's getting antsy in the pocket when he's getting pressure. Sometimes there's not even pressure and he's bailing out of the pocket. I mean, everything, there's nothing positive about the offense at all. Um, what did you think of them going to Dill McCaffrey? I mean, was it an injury? We heard injury to Shea Patterson, but I, it, it doesn't matter either way, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, they, they heard that, that they were evaluating Shea. That's what Harbaugh said afterwards. And then Dylan gets murdered. <laughs> like, the poor guy, man. Every time he comes in for Michigan, he gets hurt. He just throws him, you know, he's not scared, so he runs the ball, and he's not afraid of contact. He got lit up. That hit was so I rough, know. man. And so he's got a concussion. He's, you know, he's de- definitely not playing this week and might not play for another couple weeks after that. I don't know, man. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know where they go from here. And <laughs> it's hard. This is really hard to admit. I think I'm finally at that point where I no longer have any faith in Harbaugh to get the job done. Which he is so weird because he was like the biggest hire in college football, even bigger than Urban Meyer. Like he was, it was such a big deal. He's going back to Michigan. Like that right. was like the story in college football. And it's crazy well, how expectations had, have just fallen short. He had success so fast. I mean, this his second year, I think that's probably the best Michigan team he's had. Well, that, he that took over for, for the wonderful Brady Hoke. I mean, how could he not? Oh Didn't he God. take over for Brady, Brady Yeah, Hoke? and they went 5-7 and seven in Brady Hoke's last year, and they won 10 wins immediately in Harbaugh's <laughs> first year, and then yeah. 10 the next year. And then just they, teasing you. And then, No, I know, but like... I mean, he just looks broken. He shows no emotion or energy on the sideline, which is not what we're used to seeing. I mean, at the 49ers and his the first few years at Michigan, he was like, you know, he he, he had That's emotion. That's really interesting you say that. One thought that I had this weekend seeing the post-game press conference is it almost looks like he just doesn't care. No, I think he cares. I just think he's defeated. I'm not saying but he you're right. doesn't care. He I'm doesn't saying show, it looks like it do- right. he doesn't care. Right. No, I, I agree. I, I, re- I think that he's broken. I think he's... I think the Ohio State game last year last year broke him. I mean, last year Michigan went in favorites for the first time against Ohio State in so long, and Ohio State had looked bad on defense, and they were they had lost to you know Purdue, and they almost lost to Maryland before that, and their defense looked terrible, and then they just completely annihilate Michigan. Right? They beat them like sixty-two to to twenty-four. And Urban like Myers that. last year. Yeah, and and it was it, it was the worst loss. It was uh, the biggest deficit in the Michigan Ohio State rivalry ever I mean it was horrible wow. and I kind of feel like that game broke him and look I mean the defense the defense uh is bad also it's not just the offense but I have much more faith that Don Brown can figure it out I, I think they just don't have you know the defensive line is super weak and but it doesn't matter because this is like it's his fifth year they have all the, the, they have a ton of talent on the roster they're all Harbaugh's recruits at this point all the returning starters on offense, and they just look like a joke everywhere. And here's I I heard a very telling and interesting stat. So since the Indiana game last season, which was the game before the Ohio State game, was their eleventh game of the season. Since that game, Michigan has been 
10 or more points below the spread every single game. So we're talking they they played Indiana at home and they were uh, more than 10 points shy of the spread. Obviously, they get blown out by Ohio State. They get blown out by Florida. They're 10 points below the spread against Middle Tennessee State week one. Army, they don't, they're they favored by 21 points. They, they have to go to double overtime to get a win. And then now, once again, they're, they were... Uh, you know, three-point dogs, and they get blown out. Well, that says to me they're just way overrated in the market. Yeah, but 14, 10 to 14 points, that's more than just overrated. That means they're not playing up to their capability. That means that they, even the you know at this point, the sports books are probably saying, yeah, Harbaugh isn't doing a good job, but this is such a talented roster, they should be better than yeah, this. Yeah, that's actually crazy that they're underperforming by that much of a margin. Yeah. Usually yeah. when we get like an average of three, four, five points, that's a lot. So, right. yeah, they, there's something going on And that's here. six games in a row. But that's, that's dating back to last season? Yeah. So it's not just this offense. I mean, no. look, maybe it's just this. I can't figure it out. Look, and it sucks because um, at, at this point, probably a lot of Michigan fans, in, including myself, would just love to have... Harbaugh's offense back right where it's more it's more geared towards power running um but it's kind of this double-sided coin it's like we all hated that because it was good enough to win 10 games but you wasn't good enough to beat Ohio State or win the Big Ten right and I I think Wisconsin is gonna you know look this is, we're focusing a lot on Michigan sucking Wisconsin looks great by the way I don't want to take anything away from Wisconsin they look awesome uh I think they def- they definitely will be playing in the Big Ten championship game but I do think that that kind of power you know, old school uh, system, which looks great when they blow out teams like Michigan or whatever, it won't work against, you know, the elites, the teams like Ohio State. You won't be able to hang against teams like Alabama, Clemson, uh, Georgia, you know, uh, Oklahoma, all that stuff, right? And I think that's kind of the dilemma that Harbaugh was at. And he's got to, I just wonder what's going on in his head because he's thinking, you know, this isn't the system I want to run. And we would have competed against Wisconsin a lot better if we were just running my offense that we were that we've been running you know the last four years. I heard on the radio the other day that Harbaugh hired this guy after a twenty minute phone call. Did you hear this? Yeah, I mean uh, that's how long the you know there wasn't a formal interview process. But yeah, I mean they, he went after him. It wasn't just like he called him out of the look. I mean, if I if I hire a, a secretary, right? Right. I don't want to do that over a phone call, right? right? So I, I feel like there still has to be a process. But this is yeah. This is 2019, where these colleges have how much money at their disposal to fly guys. I mean, they fly interviews in and in yeah. and in when they're. Harbaugh's got an unlimited amount on the Michigan private jet. He's allowed to go anywhere he wants. I wasn't in contract. those conversations. I'm not. You know, I think it's it's tricky when you're criticizing hires because Jim Harbaugh knows what he wants. Look, Jim Harbaugh has been around the sport for a long time. He he knows how to run a program. He's had great success. So I think it's extremely ignorant for me to say I know more than Harbaugh. He should have done something else. But it's all I think it's fair to say I've hired people. I think a lot of people listening have been through either hiring processes or being hired. It's it, if you take that and you want to take shortcuts or you hear something through the grapevine about a great worker, I think you have to do your own due process. But yeah, then again. If they were, if they win that game and they're three and zero, are we criticizing the hiring process? Not really. No. And so I think that it kind of goes both ways. But, yeah, but it wasn't but the a product close game. on the field. Exactly, the product yeah. on the field leads me to be a little bit more criti- criticizing yeah. than I normally would. Be. They look awful. And yeah, I mean this this Gaddis hire, 
in hindsight and right now looks awful. And, you know, look, it's possible that they will figure some things out and then maybe they win nine games, you know, maybe 10. I really doubt it, but it's possible if they could just figure things out. They have the talent. This is the, the most frustrating part is that the guys on Michigan's roster, especially like the receiver position, and Shea Patterson, you know, look, he's not uh, – he may be overhyped by a lot of people. A lot of people kind of hate on him. But he was good last year. He was an accurate passer. He didn't throw a ton of interceptions. He was really good. And so for him to look so terrible in the system, this Gattis hire is looking worse and worse because he had never been an offensive coordinator. He'd never called plays. I'm sure he'd been involved in a lot of game planning and probably suggested a lot of plays to his offensive coordinators in the past. But it's just looking – so bad and I think that what happened is Harbaugh felt the pressure from last season where people were sick of it they're like okay you're 0-4 against Ohio State do something this ancient you know Windows 97 offense isn't working and then now he 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 listens and he goes okay I'll go out and get some new young guy that runs a spread offense and you know it's it's crazy because he may be he may be staking his whole career and his legacy at Michigan on this one hire right now and it it honestly could take him down at this point I mean we'll get into it later when we're going to talk about coaches on the hot seat but I kind of feel like there's a before the season I would have told you there was a very 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 small chance that Harbaugh this this was his last year coaching there and after uh Saturday I think that number just went up a ton at this point I kind of feel like it's almost 50 50 you feel good? You get that off your chest? You feel Yeah, I mean, it's cathartic. <laughs> no, I don't feel good. I, it sucks, man. It's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed. I mean, uh, yeah. It sucks. Uh, but whatever. Well, you you feel good to have this therapy session to talk about it? No, it doesn't, it doesn't make no, it doesn't make me feel any better. No, I no. mean, whatever. It's, you know, we had to we had to mention it. I can't just pretend that I didn't see it or it didn't happen. What? Oh, Michigan played? I don't know. I, all I know is that it does feel good that I don't have the pressure of I mean, look, they're going to there's no way they're beating Ohio State this year and then you look at the rest of their schedule I don't think they're winning a lot of games period yeah so I was I was certainly way too high on Michigan I'll admit that yeah well I'm glad I didn't pick them to win the (laughs) Big Ten or to beat Ohio State Uh, that would just be horrible homer shit so but whatever Wisconsin covers obviously so big good on the Badgers man Paul Chris done a great job there they had a down year last year for them to turn around their defense looks great the offense looks great Jack Cohn looked looked solid he wasn't asked to do a lot but the Badgers look awesome, and at this point, if any ch- any team in the Big Ten is going to have a chance to knock off Ohio State, it's got to be them, right? I agree. They look good. Yeah. Um, Very good. Also, just to top it all off, Ohio State blew out Miami of Ohio. Justin Fields had six touchdowns in the second quarter. <laughs> I know it's just Miami of Ohio, but Michigan's not scoring six touchdowns in one quarter no. uh, against Miami of Ohio. And uh, <laughs> all the line in the Michigan-Ohio State game before the season, some – uh, places were offering, you know, numbers on far out games. The line before the season started was Michigan minus five. <laughs> Whatever it is now, I'm sure Ohio State's favored now. It's in Ann Arbor. I don't care if it's thirty points. Bet it. Bet Ohio <laughs> State. They're gonna murder Michigan. It's over. Yeah. So yeah. But moving on. All right. Well, the, the, other, <laughs> the other big game, uh, Notre Dame Georgia. So I loved this game. Uh, Kirby Smart and Brian Kelly. Both wore visors, which you know normally I don't like. But when visors it's are two, making a two visor coaches, I kind of like that. Brian Kelly went full throttle, angry face a handful of times. We got to see him, you know, turn purple and get mad and scream at his players, which I love. You had Uga, Uga was out there. The fog machine entrance, dude. That the Georgia home night game, super impressive. Uh, they know how to do a primetime game. That's I feel like after seeing that with like, did you see how they did the whole light show? Uh, no. Where they turned the whole stadium red. They they brought all these new. 
you know, they turned off the normal white stadium lights and then they had these red LED lights and the whole place, you know, looked like it was just red and they had like this crazy light show they did. It looked awesome, man. They like, I feel like they're skyrocketing up my list of places <laughs> I got to see a game. That's cool. I didn't see that though pregame. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a great game though. I mean, Notre Dame, whether it was 16 point underdogs, it closed. Yeah. That was insane to me. But Georgia is a good team. They wore them down. And I think Notre Dame is still a little bit underrated. I mean, this whole idea that, Probably. That, that they were going to get crushed, you know, 16 points. Well, that's what we said on the show. You know, we, well, we gave out the Notre Dame uh, to, to cover, and obviously they did. The, the final score is 23-17. Uh, but, you know, that Georgia home field advantage, six false starts for Notre Dame. Uh, I think that Notre Dame, yeah, I think they showed a lot of people that they're not a fraud. You know, I feel like people just label Notre Dame this fraud just because I think so Clemson too. kicked the shit out of them, and then they've lost to Alabama in national championship games before. But it's like, how many teams are going to look really good when they get to the playoff when it's Clemson and Alabama, But right? I think there's something to be said for... I think the conference play gets underrated when you talk about the Irish because there's something to going through a conference schedule. I mean, I look Well, they don't have a, a true conference schedule, technically. They're independent, but they play five ACC games. But their schedule is usually tough. Right, right, right. But, but I'm saying... Well, I mean, they have... I don't. I don't know what their schedule is rated this year. Do you know what their strength? It's schedule not is? as good as it usually is, and that, the main reason is because like Stanford is down and USC is not really what they used to be. But, but I feel like that's why Notre Dame gets that slack. Is yeah, because they, sure. they 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 play a couple tough games a year, and I mean this year they play USC, who's that that that's not as good of a game as it usually is. Right. They've got Duke, Bowling Green, New Mexico, Michigan. Navy, <laughs> Boston College. Yeah, Michigan. On so a down they year. load up with these teams. They they yeah. they're you know and, and their rivalries. Stanford's fallen off this year. Michigan, not as good. USC, not as good. I mean, they could play Bowling Green right. next week. Yeah, and so you can't fault them because they've clearly they scheduled a tough teams. You know, they, they really did. Um, every year, you know, for an independent, they schedule a lot of tough teams. Sure, they play a couple cupcakes and they play some ACC teams, but people do throw that in their face. And I think what really hurts them, it's less the schedule. It's just that they don't get an opportunity to play a conference championship game during, yeah. during con- championship week. They're idle, you know, and, and other teams get a chance. So if it ever comes down to, you know, if they have one loss, if they're undefeated, they're probably getting in. But if they have one loss, you know, to Georgia, and then it's between them and, you know, whatever, let's say it's uh, a one-loss Oklahoma team or whatever, a one-loss Texas team, Texas is probably getting in because they're going to have that conference championship game when Notre Dame's sitting around, right? Yeah, you think so. I mean, it's public perception, but it also comes down to the committee, and they're unpredictable. And you know Notre Dame has that fan power and that fan base and that logo oh, yeah, for sure. to get them over the top. It's a so. big deal. And uh, honestly, so yeah, Notre Dame impressed me, but also Georgia, I mean, look, they won. That's all you can ask them to do. But I think that they showed that they still have a lot of work to do yeah. if they're going to make the playoff and beat Alabama in the SEC championship. Yeah, that, that was my takeaway. It was yeah. less about being impressed with Notre Dame and more a bit of a letdown from Georgia. Yeah. But they got the win. So, but Notre Dame covers another pick we gave out. So that's good. Uh, U Utah USC. So this was the Friday night game, and I feel like Utah is just in that unfortunate spot as a program where they will likely never be able to compete at the top of the college football uh, at, uh, landscape. And it doesn't matter how great their coaches. I think we both agree. Kyle Whittingham's a really, really good coach. But they don't have an ability to recruit. So I looked it up, and since 2011, the highest recruiting class rankings, according to 247, were 33rd nationally and 6th in the Pac-12. Wow, that's bad. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, Salt Lake City Don't City's they not- have, like, 
Am I mistaken, or do they have religious aspects too, or is that just BYU? Uh, well, BYU, ha- yeah, BYU has different rules, like the, the Mormon. The, yeah, it's it's the whole. I mean, there's there's still a ton of Mormon players that play at Utah because it is in Salt Lake City. Um, but the the BYU has like a different player. I can't remember the term. It's like the code for the players for the student athletes. They have it's like this contract they have to sign. But it also does give them certain advantages in one way, which is there's a reason why uh, Utah always has these really big offensive and defensive lines. And it's because the Mormon church did a ton of missionary work in Polynesia and in uh, Samoa in American Samoa. And so they get all these, you know, these huge uh, South Pacific players that well, a lot of them move to Salt Lake because of their, uh, you know, their religion, or they just kind of grow up fans. They see other players go there. So that's a little bit of an advantage for them considering where they are geographically because, you know, Salt Lake City is just not a play. Utah is not a state where they can get a ton of talent. And so they just can't compete regularly from a talent standpoint with USC. And they likely never will. Um, and this has been even including while USC is down, right? I mean, they might be able to beat them at home, but we talked about it before. They're not going to, they, they haven't won in Los Angeles in like a hundred years. And the perfect example for this was Keaton Slovis, the USC quarterback gets knocked out of the game on the very first series and USC goes to this junior third-string quarterback, Matt Fink, who comes in and goes nuts. He, he goes 21 for 30 for 350 yards and three touchdowns. I'm guessing Utah doesn't have a third-string quarterback <laughs> who can just jump in and throw for 350 yards but and three touchdowns. This is exactly what we talked about last week when we were addressing this game, and that's why I said USC could very well win this game. Oh, yeah. When you have a team that's more talented, that has a reason to get up for that game, it always scares me. Now, that was also my thinking with Michigan, right? So sometimes it's going to work, sometimes it's not. But I truly believe that when you fit, when you get a team like USC – and they have this extra motivation, and they have better players. Why would they be the underdog? This is ha- this happens over and over, right. and the trends show it. So yeah, well, that's a, I mean, it just goes back to recruiting, right? USC is a was is a bad program right now. That's in a premier spot for recruiting, whereas Utah is a great program, great coach, in a terrible spot for recruiting. And this is what happens: is that you know it takes a lot for a team that has all the talent to to lose, right? And so. You know, look, the new air raid offense for Graham Harrell is like a perfect fit for them because they have they always have quarterbacks with big arms and they're loaded at wide receiver every year. Michael Pittman Jr. for USC, he had ten catches, two hundred thirty yards, and a touchdown. Um, and you know, I, this is another thing we'll touch on when we do the hot seat stuff. I think Graham Harrell very well could be the interim or maybe future head coach at USC. Whoa, folks, yeah. easy. A little teaser for you. But wow. USC does cover, which is another pick. We we were both on that um, when we gave out our picks last week. Didn't that win do a lot for Clay Helton, though? No. I don't. Uh-huh. Th- I, honestly, I don't know that he can save his job unless he wins out. And the reason why is like because he doesn't have the support of the athletic director because, because um, Lynn Swan stepped down. I listened to Colin Cowherd on Fox Sports Radio sometimes, uh-huh. and he has really good inner workings with USC in the in the athletic department. He has a lot of information before it gets let out to the public, things like that. Yeah. He said last week on his show, Clay Helton lost that game. They're starting the coaching search. Yeah, so there were a lot of reports right, that, that no came matter, out. Said that, if they got blown out, they were going to fire him then. I still think that he probably gets fired. Uh, I, I I think, I mean, we'll talk about this later when we do the hot seat stuff because I have a couple, a couple of thoughts on, on how that will all break down. Well... Tyler. <laughs> um, I next game. I think you're on a bit of a hot seat right now, Will. So, <laughs> oh boy, I hope not. I, don't, I hope there's no one coming for my job. Uh, we talked about Auburn, Texas A&M. 
Uh, look, the you know you don't have a lot of faith in Bo Nix. I don't either. He's a true freshman, but Auburn's defense. There's just a couple crazy stats. Well, that's I had. why they're winning right now. Right. I mean, how crazy is this? So Texas A&M's two top running backs, Isaiah Spiller. His longest run of the day was 13 yards, but he finishes the game with nine total yards. So on five other carries, he had a total of negative four yards. Jacob Cabote, their other top running back, again, longest run of the day, 22 yards. Truman Cabote? Finishes with just 21 total. That's five more carries for negative one yards. The Auburn defense is just nuts. That was a weird game, though. I felt like the flow of that game was so off. I just... Uh, Auburn's starting field position in the first half was the forty yard line. Right. I mean, it but was, that's like hidden yardage. That you know, that just means their special teams is probably a lot is way better than Texas A and M's. Yeah, but if they, I don't know about that. I don't know if they play that game ten times. If they're averaging on the forty yard line, even half of those times, I think that maybe a little bit they have an edge. But that's a huge edge. It's like the right. Michigan thing. It's like right. they're beating the spread by a little bit or that much. Right. So that seemed like a weird game to me. Uh, my one takeaway is, yeah, Auburn's defense is really good and i'm starting to like gus malzahn more and more you know i like <laughs> detail oriented like visor coaches <laughs> yeah i like detail oriented coaches and it just seems like he is so this this year is different for him he's coming in with the no mistakes mentality yeah he's freaking out on the sideline which is i can take that or leave that he's pulling the chip kelly but so, there's something different about this year i can see it i can sense it with his team there's something going on in Auburn, man. And again, I think they're overrated, you know, but it just feels like a different year this year. And yeah, they're certainly led by their defense. As I mentioned, Bo Nix, I think that will be the catalyst for them to fall this year. Nothing wrong with that. He's a true freshman. Just One in of the, the big games. Exactly. Right. In some of the big games, I could see him, you know, falling short in those, but uh, definitely led by their defense. Speaking of falling short, Central Florida, UCF, their playoff hopes are dead. So Pitt, <laughs> Pitt continues to be the most bipolar team in the world. I feel like under Pat Narduzzi, you just you never know what you're getting from them. They could be great one week. Are they week bipolar or schizophrenic? They might be both. They might be bipolar or schizophrenic. Have you they heard have my m- schizophrenic joke? Uh, I, I don't know. Roses are red, violets are blue. I'm schizophrenic, and so am I. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> the dad jokes continue from, from Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That's a good one. You're all week, folks. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, look, every year they do it, Pitt does that to someone. They've done it to Clemson in the past. They've done it to Penn State now they get UCF and it seems like every year they're going to get someone big and then at some point later in the season but this was they're going to get blown like, out by NC State or Duke or Boston College or but something like that. how much credit do you give Pat Narduzzi for the that that deflating loss the week before that had a chance for the huge win oh yeah and then you flip your no, place you got to get ready for the week that's, that's a that's huge massive. bounce back win but what I'm saying is that every year they do this and they, like they have this great win and then I'm telling you <laughs> at some point down down the road they're going to lose some game they shouldn't looking really stupid against Duke or NC State or Boston College, someone that they're not supposed to lose to because Pat Narduzzi has his moments like this, and then he's also going to have his moments like he did in that Penn State game where he kicks a field goal when the <laughs> whole world knows you don't kick a field goal then. And then defends it. Yeah, and so and Dylan Gabriel, who looked really good taking the starting job away from Brandon Wimbush. You know, we had talked about Central Florida over the last couple of shows, and he had been hurt, and I thought that, oh, once he's healthy, he's going to come back and start again. Turns out Dylan Gabriel just won the starting job he kind of struggled. He threw two interceptions. The pit defense is really good. And the and UCF, their offense only scored three points in the first and fourth quarters combined. And that's not their MO at all. They usually start hot, you know, and finish strong. And so uh, you know, that's a tough one for UCF because 
you know, they only got, I think those were only, they're only two power five opponents on the schedule and uh, they needed both of them. If they wanted, they needed to go undefeated and win both those games against Stanford and Pitt if they wanted any shot at making the playoff. I'm so glad we got this out of the conversation, out of the way in October. Just, I hate the end of the year. I never want those teams to be in. Until we get to an eight-team playoff, no, I'm sorry, but no group of five school deserves to be in there. It's a different caliber of football. It's a different level, and I just think until you move to a good eight-team system where the top five get in and maybe three at large, something like that, I don't think there's a place for a group of five, and it just drives me crazy how... Every year, seemingly, you get to December and there's that one group of five team. They're undefeated. I'm glad we don't have that this year. So what you're saying is you're sad as a Central Florida fan that they can't claim a national championship this year. Yes, exactly. If there's like a two-loss national champion, like a real national champion, do you think they can then claim the one w- loss since, they, <laughs> since they're one loss that can they're national champions again? No, it's so stupid. <laughs> but you know what? That's just part of the sport, and it's it's unfortunate. We've talked about this before. What are you supposed to do? You kind of feel bad for him. Oh, yeah. I feel so bad for him. You're talking about back-to-back national champions. You're a big Nuggets fan. You love the Nuggets, right? Yeah, thank God I have what the Nuggets What if the Nuggets still. had a, went 82-0 and and didn't have a chance to win the, the championship? Wouldn't you, that infuriate you? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but if they went 82-0 and playing college teams, whereas everyone else in the NBA is playing a true NBA schedule, then maybe I wouldn't be like, oh, we're the NBA champions. There you go. There so there, there is a difference. Real quick, Will, while we're on the NBA, did you hear about Lamelo Ball? Is moving up in the in the mock drafts. He's now he's a, really good. He's now a top three pick. Yeah. So what? You're, he came out I, as the I can third see it in your face. In <laughs> you're excited that Lavar Ball is going to be back in the news. I can see it all over your face. Hey, if you ain't a big ball, if you uh, how's it go? I don't if know. You ain't a. I, if you ain't a, he's the sports equivalent of the Kardashians. I just try to avoid him at all costs. No, Will, this is perfect for Will. This is great. You, I, I cheer for drama. I love the conflict. I love. It's not even drama though. It's not even dramatic. It's just stupid. It is, but it's but people. It's not eat dramatic. It up. What, what's dramatic about some shithead father of a player who actually is a, a solid kid, Lonzo Ball, who I like, and I feel like people hate on him just because his dad's a dick. What, 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 what's, what's the question? What's, what's dramatic about him going on and being like, my son's better than Michael Jordan. I, maybe, I'm better than Michael Jordan. Maybe dramatic Jordan. was the wrong word. It's entertaining. Yeah, And well, I'll take that all day. I love the entertainment. That's a subjective term, and I think you and I clearly have different opinions <laughs> on what you is entertaining. Think, you don't think ball is entertaining? Big bottle of brand, man? I, you know what? The only thing that was entertaining it, about it was the so- whole ball thing is that the big ball of brand went to shit. And the t-shirts they were selling for like 80 bucks a pop, you can now get them for $5. One of the, oh, dudes, that are, one of the dudes that are our fantasy football draft, our I friend like Pat, that. Our friend Ooh, I Pat like that t-shirt. was wearing that shirt. He I got it for get $5. My, I want to get my, that's, my, that's I get my Z03s ordered. Yeah, those yes. shoes that come in small, medium, and large Woo! sizes. Yeah, man. Yeah, is that how they come? Yeah, <laughs> seriously. They don't come in numbered. You can't say, oh, I'm getting the Lonzo balls in a 10 and a half. Oh, no. He, what they he came says in is, small, uh, medium, large. Hey, man, if you can't afford it, you're not a big baller. That's I guess I'm not shoes. a big baller. That's a shame. Well, Will, we know that. I don't spend $300 we, we on know that, Will. garbage Payless shoes. No, man. Lamella. I'm, uh, BBB, man. Big baller brand all the Thank way. God, that guy's not in college football. Um so uh, more games, Oregon-Stanford. This is a boring game. Surprised the Ducks couldn't score more points, but Oregon covers another pick we gave out. And, uh, you know, the Pac-12 ended up making up for that boring game with the UCLA-Washington State game. Hey-o. Tyler, did you stay up for that game? No, I turned it off. So I turned it off, and I was playing video games, and then I see a tweet come through because UCLA was getting blown out. I see a Twitter notification, and it says, UCLA was down 32 and a half 
and now they have a chance to win it. I turn the game on, they take the lead, and they give it up again. This was just insane. Pack. Pac-12 after dark strikes again. <laughs> the Pac-12 after dark is is like seems like every other week there's some crazy shit like this. Yeah, they're down 32 in the third. Something just clicks. Doreen Thompson Robinson goes nuts. UCLA had two special teams touchdowns. Somehow they pull it off and win. And the craziest part, this is what I think is the craziest part about that whole game. Anthony Gordon, Washington State's quarterback, threw nine touchdowns and they still lose. Wow. I, I wonder how many times we need to get a stats guy. How many times is a guy thrown for nine touchdowns and lost? That's crazy. They're Washington ridiculous. State, though. Yeah, you get those high-scoring games. Wow. I can't believe UCLA came back. and. So Pac-12's dead, and this goes back to our uh, predicting headline segment from last week. Even though mine weren't punny like yours, both of mine were correct. Harbaugh is on the hot seat. And the Pac-12 is dead. There's the Pac-12s. They have no with Utah losing and Washington State losing. They got no chance of making the playoff. Real right? Good, real good headlines. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what about mine? BYU says no more, man. <laughs> on, on, we may not have seen it, but that was very good too. Because yeah, Washington, you know, beat the hell out of them. So uh, that was good. We both did a good job. I think they were both good prognosticators. We predict the future well, really stop well. Stop patting yourself on the back. <laughs> That's enough. All right. Well, here's one where I won't pat myself on the back. Texas, Oklahoma State. So, depending on where you got the line, the game finished 36 30. And, you know, when we gave it on the podcast, I think it was still five, five and, and a half. half, but it closed closer to seven. So, really, depending on where you Close get it. Seven and a half. Yeah. Depend, depending on where you got it, uh, you know, that, that'll depend on if, if you won the game or not. But either way, it was a Which bad backdoor for, for Oklahoma State show, if they did cover. It shows the importance of buying. Yeah, for sure. Where you want to always buy at the peak of your numbers. So if you like a team when they're the underdog, try and do your homework and try and buy when that's going to peak at the highest point, when you're trying to buy the favorite again. Try and buy right. low. Now, it's tough because we can't always predict when lines are going to move. But go back and listen to last week's show. Will and I had this talk, and we talked about making a live bet, and... Will wouldn't take it past five and a half, taking Texas. I wouldn't take it past seven, taking Oklahoma State. Both of us being sensitive about the numbers, not wanting to just buy teams randomly. So that's a very important right. And we were both right because last week it not if you know it hits right on six. So we were both kind of right in our in our uh, our suspicions. Um, So yeah, it is important to shop around. How about that CU games? Uh, Colorado goes on the road. They get up early on Arizona State, hot start, 14 nothing, and then win. Tyler, how excited were you about that? That was big time. I mean, I have a season win total for CU over four wins. I was just going nuts. That's a big one. Yeah, I know. But this was a, this was a game that came down to when you're, when you're talking about the pregame. I mean, Arizona State had 18th-ranked defense in terms of efficiency in the country. They were a very good defense. That didn't matter at all. CU kind of did what they wanted in the first half. So it was a good win for the Buffs. And uh, Pac-12, pretty entertaining this week. Yeah, no doubt. Uh Here's the the one that was most disappointing to me besides, obviously, the Michigan game. Michigan State-Northwestern. So I, I said it on last week's show that the – so the final score was 31-10, uh, Michigan State wins. And I said on last week's show that the spread was too good to be true, that my dumb brain couldn't help but take it. You know, the, the line was uh, Michigan State favored by 9.5 or 10. And, you know, Michigan State had come off that horrible showing at home against Arizona State. Their offense was terrible. Northwestern beat them three years in a row. And I was like a dumb little mouse who sees the cheese on the mouse trap. I love cheese. And and knew it was a trap and still was like, yeah, I can get this cheese and get out without getting my neck snapped. And I made it my best bet. I said, best bet, uh, Northwestern's going to cover here. And, you know, Michigan State covered the spread early and never let it get close. And to top it off, I made two best bets for that game. Uh, the under, which was 39. 
Northwestern scores a garbage time touchdown late to push it over. So, you know, uh, I'm, I was just not feeling great, great about that one. My dumb brain just can't help it. Every time that there's a line that seems too good to be true, I, I said it. It's like, I know I shouldn't, but I, ha- I feel like I have to. And then I take it, and then it ends up just kicking me in the nuts. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we were pre- you were pretty good with the... I feel like most people were on Utah last week. I feel like there's some trick lines that we do well with, but that's the nature of you this, mean, man. You mean Northwestern? Well, no, the Utah-USC. Oh, you know, We right, were on the I right see. side there, but right. that's what happens a lot, and it's funny. I always talk about... No, no, I'm not going to make this too much of a tangent, but the, the, the similarities between the stock market and sports market, literally, the sports market is sometimes meant to deceive. It's, right. it's meant to trick people into going, oh, that's easy. And so it happens. Because right, maybe they want more money on one side in order to time. even it out. Yeah. yeah. Happens to me. Happens to you. And I mean, I guess, you know, another good lesson is. But that's that's tough to be aware of that stuff, man. It's so easy to fall into the traps. You see a line, you go, man, that seems so easy. That team would win by that much. I even said it. I said it on the show. That. I was like, I know I shouldn't, but I have to. And then sure enough, you know, I, I was wrong. So Oh, well, yeah, you, you, mentioned, any- you mentioned cheese. Uh What's your favorite? Ki- I've got a couple food topics. I already know my favorite. What's your favorite cheese? kind of cheese? Gouda, smoked gouda. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's not like I don't put it on everything because it doesn't go with everything. That's I, an I interesting I think for like answer. just a standard cheese that I like the most, it's probably cheddar, or like Colby Jack. But I think smoked gouda is the best. I go extra sharp. Extra a- sharp extra cheddar. Sharp. Is that your? That's your favorite too. That's my fave. I put it on everything. Yeah. Extra sharp cheddar. If you're and then, a sharp better. You like extra sharp cheddar. My last Those uh, two things rhyme. My last uh, food topic here was during the. <laughs> Um, what was it? it was during the uh, Auburn and Texas A and M game. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I actually I have one more note on. That. Right, anyway, yeah. I'm getting a little bit. Uh, they were showing. Do you like when they show at the commercials uh, the food? How they're showing what they're serving like in the stadium? concession food. Yeah, yeah, the stadium. Yeah, they a go little like bit. ESPN. Like, they go, hey, let's go. It, let's go like down it. to the field, see what they're serving. The sideline reporter was eating everything on the yeah. during the game. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, I, I, it's okay if they do it a little bit. I don't, I don't need to see it like, you know, I don't need to know the ingredients and well, that's the, what the they caloric were like, intake. This is uh, brown sugar uh, barbecue sauce. And he goes, now I'm going to take a bite right here and let you guys know how it is. And it's a, he takes a bite goes, it's pretty good. Send it back up to you guys. I'm like, <laughs> it's a game going on right now. I mean, I guess actually I'm all for it if it's in the South. If it's like, hey, yeah, it we was. got a hot dog and a pretzel <laughs> here at Penn State, I don't really give a shit because that's standard. But people in the South know their food. And actually, I don't want to be disrespectful to the Midwest. They know their food, too. Are we about to move on to um, the next topic? Yeah, unless you got any, anything else you want I to hit do, on. I do. I do. And it goes to coaches and how coaches approach games. And I told you, Gus Malzahn is really impressing me. And it's not just their demeanor on the sidelines. It's how these teams perform. You can often, in college football especially, see the translation of what the coach is preaching onto the field. And I have two apples to apples, or one apples to apples example of two coaches one who I think will find great success in the next couple of years, and the other who I just don't think he pays attention to details enough, and you saw it on display this past weekend. Example number one, Auburn has the lead. They're trying to milk clock. All they need is a first down, and the game is over. What happens when their freshman quarterback, Bo Nix, keeps the ball on the read option, runs for the first down? He slides down, inbounds, keeps the clock running, ensuring the Auburn win, Okay exact same scenario that night with Oklahoma State and Texas. Texas essentially has a chance to wind clock, not give Oklahoma State the ball back, where they got that backdoor cover. Yeah, the Texas, muff punt or exactly. whatever. Texas, what happens? Sam Ellinger runs for the first down, 
example, exact apples to apples example is the Auburn, right? Uh huh. Bo Nix, like the, fr- the freshman, slides down. What does Sam Ellinger, who's what now? Ellinger, sophomore, by the way. Sam people, Ellinger. People thank get you. touchy about that. Thank you, thank you. Sam Ellinger, what does he do? He tries to pick up as many yards as he possibly can, tries to get down and score a touchdown, and he ends up giving the ball back to Oklahoma State instead of running the clock. Right. Two examples. Gus Malzahn, you can see on the field his presence. Bo Nix knew exactly what to do. He went down, didn't care about personal stats. And Sam Ellinger, was he wanted that touchdown, man. He wanted to run up his Heisman campaign, one of those numbers. I see one coach, detail-oriented. And I love that. I didn't have, hmm. uh, and I see another coach, same scenario. The quarterback just wanted his stats. If Gus Malzahn's coaching Texas, Sam Ellinger slides down, they guarantee they get the win and they do the right football play. That to me was actually, you may not think that's a big deal. I think that's such a huge deal, Will. Those little detailed in-game situations, that makes the difference in between winning your conference, winning a national championship, and not. And I think Tom Herman has a long way to go getting there, coaching his players in the detail-oriented things. Okay, I, so I think it could be, but we don't know. I mean, how do we know that that uh, Herman hasn't been drilling Ellinger with that? And then, well, and then the second he came off the field, exactly he, he, right. he looked we at Ellinger and said, come on, dude, you you're, know, exactly you, you're not right. supposed to do we that. We don't know, but the best we can do is make the assumptions. Right. And so my assumption would be Bo Nix is better coached up than Sam Ellinger. That's my assumption. That's, a, that's all we can do is read the tea leaves. <laughs> okay, but so then... Can we read the tea leaves based off their performance, too? Because couldn't you also say Sam Ellinger no, puts up insane not. numbers? Absolutely He's better not. coached. That's, that's individual talent. If you, if you put Bo Nix on Texas, Sam Ellinger on Auburn, I think Sam Ellinger is still a better quarterback, has better numbers. Bo Nix is a freshman and experience. The only thing that we can evaluate on is the objective stuff. What do they do when they get a first down? One runs, one doesn't run. That's what I mean. Whether they throw an incompletion or an interception, that's not on the coach, right? Uh, it w- certainly can be. It can be. Yeah. But what we're trying to do is put the dots together to see what is the most likely. Okay, right? so wait. If you're, let's just say you're starting a program well, right Are now. you trying to tell me that based on what they did, one quarterback runs for it, one slides down, that we can't tell anything from that? All I'm saying is... I'm saying maybe I, we can. That's all I'm saying, too. That's all I'm saying. But I think it's closer to maybe than maybe we can't. I see one quarterback do something, they get the ball back... They don't. They don't give the ball back. I mean, Oklahoma State had a chance to win that game. They they ended up missing on a, 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 a what do you call it? The kickoff where you try and get it back. Onside kick. Yeah. So Sam Ellinger could have effectively lost his ga- his ga- his team the game. Okay. So that's my point. Is the interceptions all that? All we can do. We can't get in the locker room. This is my whole point with hiring. And you should have started this quarterback. We can't get in the locker room, but we can make assumptions based on what we see. Right. And and the best we can do is guess. If and my was- best guess is. Sam Ellinger is not getting told, hey, if you get this first down, I want you to slide down. Oh, okay. and my, my guess would be Bonix was told that. I would agree with you if we saw like a trend of this. It, it could just be one occurrence. But, Will, you're missing the whole point. No, of I understand your point. it could point. be one occurrence. My point isn't you're this just, is the end-all, be-all. You're, end making, all, you're inferring a lot from that one, from those, those, you, that one example. You're damn right so, I okay, am. So That's because that was a huge I got a question for you. I got a question for you. Yeah. If you. If you're starting a program right now, would you rather have... Tom Herman or Gus Malzahn starting your program? Gus Malzahn. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, the I, history... I think most people would disagree with you. No, no. The, the history against the spread, the history against good teams at home as an underdog and as a favorite. Tom Herman, what has this guy done? He's won at bad yeah. places. Now he's gotten to Texas and kept a couple games I just close. feel like his, his trajectory is upward. And Gus Malzahn, you know, look, maybe he can turn things around in Auburn. I think his is going much more downhill. He's a coach people talk about being on the hot seat this year. I think well, who who are these people? 
A, a I ton of people. I completely disagree with that. And I think no, those no, 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 are just no. Wait. Okay, to... you can disagree with the fact that he should be fired. You can't disagree that the talk has been that he was on the hot seat before this year because it was. That was that was the talk all around college football. I mean, I must not listen to the same things you do. Apparently not. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Absolutely, it was being talked about. If if he doesn't, you know, win That's a ton ridiculous. of games this year, what he's getting Skip fired. Bayless? Was no, that, no, was no, that no, Stephen no. A. Smith? That's ridiculous. You to me. and I talked. Let's go. Uh, we need to rewind and listen to our SEC preview because you and I talked about this. I think we both agreed that he was on the hot seat if he doesn't get it done this year, which meant which meant nine or ten wins. I don't think he's on the hot seat. Well, right now he might not be. But before the season started, he absolutely was being talked about that. But whatever. I mean, it's a. I think right now, if you look for, in the next five years, Gus Malzahn has a better shot to win a national title than Tom Herman. I think I would absolutely take Auburn right now to win a national ch- uh, championship over Texas. We're going to have to put this on the long term board. Bet board. <laughs> it's going on the bed board. Absolutely. Uh, my, my answer I'll is Gus Malzahn. All right. All right. Fair enough. I just I just disagree, but that's fine. So, um, on to our next segment, segment, Tyler. What are we doing here? We are going to discuss. Uh, you know, some coaches being on the hot seat and maybe a different name for it. Uh, hi, I want six tickets to Asses of Fire. <laughs> Asses of Fire is that what we're doing fire. today? Okay. That's right. These are the coaches that have the hottest seat. Their asses are on fire. They have the Asses of Fire. So... I, we didn't really. Are you going to start with Gus Malzahn, Will? No, no, he's he's not on my list because look, I think Auburn's doing a good job right now, but I, I don't think that his job is super secure. But whatever, I'm going I off think, of I think just how I that, rank coaches that just, on their just to hot put that seat. to bed. I think a lot of this too is my excitedness. I came into the show talking about Auburn. I came in talking about Gus Malzahn. That's sort of my thing this week. I'm really excited about Gus Malzahn. We'll, so. we'll see what they do against uh, Mississippi State this Look, week. Look, I'm the one who picked him to have three or four losses this year, man. Yeah, but I mean, three. I don't think three or four losses is a big deal. I, I mean, we're, They're we're, four we're, and we're hanging on this. No, I know. I, I, <laughs> That's ending the season four and four. No, I'm saying if they go nine and three, I think before the season, starting a true freshman quarterback, a lot of people would have been like, "That's actually pretty good." I'm saying if he goes like seven and five, I think he's fired. I think he's done. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, I kind of ranked mine. So I've got. Let's see here. I have. Five coaches that I think have asses of fire right okay. now. Uh, a South Park reference, by the way. Yeah, for, for, for those who for don't those know. <laughs> didn't know, the whole asses of fire thing comes from uh, the South Park movie, right? Yeah, Bigger Longer on Cut. Yeah, which was very funny. Blame Canada. Mm-hmm. Blame Canada. So Always blame Canada. I ranked mine, and I feel like you might be a little surprised with some of these. Um, number one is Clay Helton, and it's not because of their performance on the field. I really just think that... He is on the hottest seat because of everything surrounding the program. It's time for a change. The athletic director uh, resigning. So you know, usually that signals when the athletic director leaves. That was kind of the supporter for that head coach. That that guy's time is running out. And so, uh, I actually think, I think they, I think USC has a bye week coming up, like week six. And I think there's a good chance. I think that they probably lose to Washington this week, and we'll get into that more when we do our our game breakdowns, but I think they lose to Washington this week. I think that gives them the excuse, hey, we're firing Clay Helton, and because I think what they want, because obviously they're going to be able to, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of coaches probably lining up to take that job. It what is about a Urban premier Meyer? job. Well, exactly. I think I, I'm, I think he'll be on the top of a lot of people's list. <laughs> uh, how Urban Meyer would that be, man? I'd be so Urban Meyer. <laughs> but uh, the thing I really think that the reason why they want to get rid of Clay Helton before the season is up is that Graham Harrell has come in as the offensive coordinator and he's just lit things up. Their offense has been explosive. I mean, come on. They lose JT Daniels their first uh, week, and they still win. And then Keaton Slovis comes in, looks really good for a true freshman. He gets hurt. And then this new this uh, 
Matt Fink or whatever his name is, the the third stringer guy that, that came in this week against Utah and lit it up. I think that that signals to them that Graham Harrell, you know, this air raid system is really good for their personnel, and so I think that what they're, I think there's a real chance that they will fire Clay Helton in order to give Graham Harrell the reins and say you're the new interim head coach. We're gonna see how you do over these last six games and give him a shot. And if it goes really well, they might actually say, "Hey, we're giving you the head coaching job," or they might say, "We're gonna find a head coach." that is willing to keep you on staff because we really like you. I think they want to give the, him a shot. You think so, so? Yeah, so I think Clay Helton's the, the, why, has the hottest Why seat. do you think that about Graham Harrell? Not Clay Helton. I agree about Clay yeah. Helton. I think he's on the hot seat. Why do you feel so strongly about Graham, Graham Harrell? Uh, I mean, look, the trend in football in general, not just college, but in the NFL, is these hot young coordinators that come <laughs> Easy, in. Easy, Will. And, you're getting sweaty uh, over there. Uh, well, <laughs> they, they come in, and like these guys are highly coveted. And the offense has looked great this year. We both agree on that for for USC, especially when you consider, I mentioned it before, they're, they're having quarterback injuries. Normally when a team loses their starting and their second string quarterback, that's, you know, the, that's done at that point. The offense sucks. Their offense continues to look good despite the injuries. And I think that, you know, they, I think that they, they're not going to want to just let this guy go off. Because I tell you what, if... If they do, Graham Harrell is going to have a ton of people knocking at his door to say, hey, come come, be our offensive coordinator. Come be our head coach. We saw Cliff Kingsbury get a job in the NFL, and he wasn't even winning games at Texas Tech because of this. Yeah, that's uh, – God, I, I, hadn't, I haven't heard that. I haven't heard the – I haven't heard much but about I didn't, it. I didn't just hear about I Lincoln Riley before he got hired. Right. Like that. My initial reaction is that USC tried that last time. I mean, Clay Helm was the interim coach. Yeah, but he was like a tight ends coach, and I think he what he was he was just well liked and and well respected by the players. So they just said, okay, you know, maybe they felt like they made a mistake not letting Ed Orderon uh, be the head coach when he was the interim coach when Lane Kiffin got fired. If you remember, like the players wanted Coach O at USC when he was the interim head coach, and then they went another way. They went out and got Sarkeesian. And then it's been a disaster it just ever seems since like then. For the boosters at USC, this this is the can't miss hire. Like this is the one you've got to get right. Yeah. And with Urban Meyer on deck, it, it just seems Maybe. so uh, juicy. There, but there were there was also a report that came out this last week that the president, I believe, of uh, the school, the president of USC, doesn't want Urban Meyer. Really? I don't, I don't Wait, know if that's what? true. There, were, yeah, it was just like sources from I can't remember who the reporter was or who the insider was, but there was a report that came out that said the USC president. Uh, doesn't want to remire. Maybe it's because of the off the field, you know, the baggage that kind of comes with him. The, the uh, president said that. You well, know what well, I don't this, like. This was often. a report. Obviously, we don't know if it's for sure true. But some. We uh, should, this we was should. a. This was a. You know, real. I can't remember the name. Let me let me Google it because I want to know the who the sports reporter was that you know put his name on this. Uh, so you just go ahead and talk for um, a second. Well, if the president comes out, I always. I think we see. That in the world of college football, when the president, the athletic director, and the coach are all on the same page, that is so good for the university. Uh, I can name a couple examples off the top of my head. Oklahoma, that's the case. Alabama, that's the case. Ohio State, right. that was the case. That's, with that's the mark of a good program, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. You want the president to be in cohesion with the AD and with the coach. I hope that the new AD has talked to the president about this because what I don't like is the president of a powerful USC coming out and just saying, hey, I don't want Urban Meyer because he's a bad guy. It's like, well, so he's usually good for business wherever he goes. Uh, I figured out. So uh, the guy's name is Ralph Russo. He's an AP Associated Press College football writer. And he said that uh, he was at USC last weekend. And before they had their game, 
uh, they inaugurated a new president of that university. The new president is Dr. Carol Fultz, the first female president in school history. And, Great, uh, and she's already commenting on football hires. That's awesome. You know, look, there's been a multi. It says here there's been a multitude of scandals on campus, which is true. You had the whole admissions scandals. You had, you know, you've had kind of scandals with those coaches with Pete Carroll with the recruiting Reggie Bush. That you know, USC does have a history of kind of scandals surrounding that football program. They haven't been like insanely huge, but they have been there. And with all the rumors swirling about Urban Meyer to USC, Urban Meyer was there for the you know doing the Fox pregame, right? And I saw something on Twitter that uh, Urban Meyer, on his Twitter, someone went and saw the tweets he was liking, and he liked some tweet that someone wrote about, uh, you know, Urban's there, and he's just happy because now he he's saw that he'll have a quarterback next year, you know, looking at Keaton Slovis. And so, but this guy, uh, Ralph Russo, uh, he just says that he doesn't think that this new president, uh, you know, wants Ur- Ur- Urban Meyer there, but... Look, if the uh, if all the donors and everything says we don't care about this, this guy's going to win us games, which he will, obviously. He's one of the best coaches of all time. There's probably a good chance he'll be in the running. Let's just say that. Yeah, you know what I didn't like when I uh, worked in radio in Northern Colorado was when the general manager would go to the production manager or the sales manager, better example, would go to the production manager and start talking about what to do on air. Here's how we can. It's like that. those two shouldn't mix. Right. Production has their job. Sales but the job. president is the you know that is the president's the boss of the athletic director who's the boss of the coach. But and I'm I get a fir- that- but I'm a firm believer that in 2019 college athletics is not college athletics; it's a business. Yeah, and USC for is sure. one of the biggest businesses. So you have. I'm I'm also a believer in hiring people to do their job. I don't like hiring people and then hovering and saying do it this way, do it this way. I think that the president should bring in a coach or an AD or whatever who they can let do their job and not have to comment on things like this. Right. But I, you know, just to to go on that is that if they don't if they want to just stay out of things and let the football coach do their job and not have to be involved then you know maybe urban meyer isn't the guy they want because they're afraid that they're gonna there's gonna be controversy you know whatever it has controversy has kind of he's had issues Mm. in florida and then you know how i like a little sizzled my steak will (laughs) especially that sizzle comes with a billion dollar profit every year so did you rank your uh asses of fire coaches or actually i i was just gonna react on yours i don't have any specifically if i if i if if you have any others let me know yeah so next up this is second hottest ass uh (laughs) in coaching should we play this every time I want six tickets to Asses of Fire. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Pruitt. So he's the head coach of Tennessee. They're one and three. Their losses so far, they had that really bad loss opening weekend, Georgia State, then they lose to BYU. They just got destroyed by Florida, a rival. You look at their next three games. They play Georgia at home, Mississippi State at home, and then at Alabama. They're almost certainly going to be 0-3 there. And then you look at the rest of their schedule. Here, I, They only really have two games in their schedule that I think you can say are winnable and i think it's uab alabama burning birmingham and vandy at home and so i think there's a good chance they go three and nine and i know it's only his second year and tennessee has had you know this recent history of firing coaches after just a couple seasons but at some point you know how are you just going to continue to accept this kind of mediocrity if they want to be able to recruit on the same level as some of these better sec schools and get in talent you can't just keep letting your coach go three and nine and i think that if he does go three and nine I think there's a very good chance that he's fired at the end of the season. Yeah, three and nine, certainly not. I mean, where you want tough to be. schedule? Yeah, absolutely tough schedule. But but well, I'm I'm looking at the preseason. I don't see him anywhere in the preseason. So it's just from a couple losses this year that that you have him here, or do you think it's? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just think that you know, uh, 
I, no one was expecting Tennessee to like compete for the SEC, but I think a lot of people were saying this could be a, a good year because can you find out what the record was last year? I think it was three and nine. It was really bad. Um, and people were saying, okay, they'll be better this year. They can maybe win six, seven, maybe eight games if they're crazy. Colin Cowherd, your guy, predicted that they would win the SEC uh, East and and be a surprise team. And so it, it wasn't crazy for a lot of people to say it's going to be an improved year. What they go last year? They went five and seven. Okay, five and seven. And, I, and so to go from five and seven to worse than that, which is very likely at this point with their quarterback. Garitano, was Jeremy Pruitt there last year? Yeah, it was his first year last year. So, you know, I get it. It's only his second year, and maybe they want to give him more time. But it's not a good sign when you go five and seven, no. and then maybe, obviously, they could go five and seven or six and six this year if they really improve things. There's, but I doubt it. There's some schools where you just got to turn the page. Tennessee's a good football school. They don't have time for stuff like right. this. At least that's how I think about them. I, yeah, I, I would get rid of him quickly. He's not winning games. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Not a, not a good showing either before their, their bye week. All right, so next up, Jim Harbaugh. Jimmy! So, look, before the season, I would have said you're crazy. And and I got to point this out first. The administration loves him. The ward manual, the athletic director... Uh, he's said many times that, you know, I'm, I'm sure somewhat jokingly, but it, you know, Harbaugh is here as long as he wants to be is what he said. Uh, they have a very good relationship. I think they like him a lot, but what's going to happen is that if things go bad, which it looks like they very well could this year, the fan base isn't going to give a shit and they're going to come calling for it. And at one, at some point the pressure is going to be on the athletic director ward manual to find someone else. And I look at their schedule this year. I think the best case scenario with how their team is right now, unless they make some crazy jump and improvement, which I don't see happening. I think their best case scenario is eight and four, uh, for in the, you know, regular season, worst case scenario, he loses the locker room, which there's already maybe some signs of that. Uh, and he, and they go six and six. I mean, this would include losses to Wisconsin, obviously. They play Iowa at home in two weeks. That could easily be a loss. Then they're at Penn State. That That's very easily a loss. Notre Dame at home, I, I don't think right now they're winning that. Michigan State at home, that's an easy loss. And then and then Ohio State, I, no one's going to pick them. So that, that that's how easy it is for them to go six and six right now. I think Michigan is that team that can turn it back on, but I, I honestly <sighs> believe that what's going to happen is Harbaugh's going to have to take over play calling. I think he's going to have to rip that play calling sheet out of uh, Gaddis's hands, and then they're going to get back. possible. But until that happens, until he, he starts saying, I'm going to lose my job, I'm, I'm taking over, I think that you're, we're going to see the same thing I just thing don't know if, if even if he does that. I don't know if they're good enough. I mean, this is the first year that he's really been there where, where their defense hasn't been very stout, and the reason why is because they're very weak on the defensive line. And Don Brown is a good defensive coordinator, but without – being, they can't manufacture pressure on the defensive line. They lost two guys that were NFL uh, draft picks last year in Rashawn Gary and Chase Winovich from the defensive line. They lost a uh, first-rounder, Devin Bush, from linebackers. About. So that's three NFL guys from the front seven, and they've done a, a terrible job at recruiting, especially on the interior of the defensive line. So they're soft there. I think teams are going to be able to just run on them and out-physical them all day long. Look, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Who knows? Maybe Wisconsin is just like this playoff caliber team. I think Wisconsin's pretty good. I think that you're just... I don't know, man. I, I'm telling you, right now, the way I, I look at things, so there were signs. So I, I saw uh, Michigan's wide receiver, Nico Collins, who's very good, who, by the way, you're getting blown out in a game. You'd think they'd be throwing a lot. He, he only got five targets all game, which is ridiculous. This guy's great. You can just throw it up to him. He can catch it. <laughs> he liked a tweet on Twitter that included the hashtag FireHarbaugh. When you see things like this, this is not a good sign. This is telling me that maybe he's losing the locker room. The player, once the players don't believe 
in their head coach anymore, what are the chances they're going to play hard and win and turn things around? Yeah, I mean, I didn't see this coming. I, I didn't know about the tweet. That's not good at all. Oh, man. He's and look, I'm, I'm sad because I like Harbaugh, and I've, you know, he's he played there, and I'm sure no one wants to win and be successful there more than him. Uh, it'll, it'll be soul-crushing for him to, to fail and get fired there, but I think it's really possible. I mean, I if you follow me on Twitter, uh, you saw me on Twitter uh, in, the, in the fourth quarter of the game. I threw away my Jim Harbaugh bobblehead. I was really frustrated. I took a video of it and posted it on Twitter, and uh, some people thought that Did I was... really? Yeah, I, I, t- I picked it up, and I put it in the trash can, and then one guy commented and said, yeah, I bet you just pulled it right af- afterwards. <laughs> he called me out. So I went and pulled it out and smashed it <laughs> just to prove. I'm, I'm pissed off, man. I'm tired of this. So not to just keep dwelling on that, but I really think that Jim Harbaugh is on the hot seat, and I think he's third in line right now. I think you're coming in emotional today. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, I think that Jim Well, maybe Harbaugh you'll disagree is... with me on the next guy then because the, the guy who I think now is less on the hot seat is Chip Kelly. So, uh, yeah. I Look, I only see two wins left on the schedule at Arizona next week, which is also a maybe. That's not a guarantee. And then Oregon State the following week, which I think they will win. Uh, but that win against, you know, does that win against Washington State, that crazy comeback win, maybe buy him a little bit more time? Yeah. <sighs> It was kind of a crazy win. It, w- I, it would for me. Unless he just like loses the rest of the games or something. Because you keep saying with Chip Kelly, is he going to turn it around? It's like this whole like, like, like question. Is he going to get back to being Chip Kelly? Is this a fluke? Is he ever going to be good again? Right. I think last week that showed his team's not going to quit, that he still kind of knows what he's doing. If he has a quarterback who can complete some passes, I honestly think a big part of the season – for UCLA, has been the disappointment of Dorian Thompson Robinson. Right, I mean, this quarterback has not done his job at He's all. A big recruit, but yeah. Chip Kelly keeps sticking with him. So I don't know if he has anyone better. Yeah, but, <laughs> I, I don't. But know. All, I mean, look, it's the the thing that the reason why I think he is below Harbaugh on the hot seat right now is because it's just his second year, and I think a lot of teams are just hesitant to kind of go through this cycle of hiring and firing coaches. You want to create some stability, and so maybe they just. But also, I mean, once again. He, at this point, they could easily go three and nine again. Pretty sure Rich Eisen predicted him to be gone at the end of the season. So I mean, it's not a crazy, it's not a crazy thing to think. Yeah. So uh, and the last guy I've got on here, Will Muschamp at uh, South Carolina. Okay. So they're one and three. Their only win was against Charleston Southern, an FCS school. I think they have three winnable games left on the schedule, but none of them are guaranteed wins. At Tennessee, Vandy at home, that one's probably a win. And then App State at home. Who, by the way, Appalachian State just beat North Carolina last week with a blocked field goal, very reminiscent of their of their upset of Michigan from back in the day. App State's a really tough team, so I really I think those are three winnable games. But even still, the rest of the games in their schedule, I don't think they win. So then you're looking at four and eight. And at that point, I think he's probably fired. Yeah, they've underperformed this year. I was thinking that this week, like he just Will Muschamp on the side. It just it's it's a weird feel. He's not winning games. He's right. not being creative. Yeah, I could see him being gone this year. You didn't have Willie Taggart on the list. No, you I don't think he's on the hot seat. I, I this it, I've said it before with these other ones. I do think that Florida State will give him a little bit more time. Why? I, there's something about it. You and I both agree. We don't like Willie Taggart, but he seems to be well liked amongst the college football community, right? College football coaches. There's a reason why he keeps getting these jobs, even though he doesn't. <laughs> I think his I think his uh, career coaching record as a head coach is below 500. Yet he keeps getting jobs. He got the job at Oregon. 
from Western Kentucky where he wasn't above 500. And then he, now he gets the job at Florida State, and he wasn't even that good at Oregon, right? And so I think that there's something – he kind of has like this mystique. Yeah, why it's almost he... like It was almost like when Lane Kiffin was like getting all these – he yeah. got the job at the Raiders and then at USC, even though he'd never really done anything. It's kind of the same mystique around him. And so I think Florida State will give him another year, and there's enough positives – you know, with the offense maybe, and they just need to fix the defense for him to, to keep his job. Yeah, and I am looking up some preseason stuff. It does look like Malzahn may have been on a couple preseason lists. Okay, fair enough. Pardon me, Mr. Perfect! I guess I forgot that you never ever make a mistake! <laughs> uh, so, Gus. So that's go. all I got. I mean, I'm sure there's others that are viable, but those are the guys that have asses of fire, according to me. Special thanks once again, Wise Money Sports. Wise Money Sports is a special service where you can get picks. You can get professional picks from a multitude of professional gamblers from all kinds of sports, hockey, soccer, uh, tennis, football, basketball, baseball, everything you can imagine. You can also get one-on-one uh, consulting with a professional better. If, you, if, you, if you're not an amateur, you, you know, you're already making some money, but you maybe want some consulting advice, you can do that too. So check out Wise Money Sports online at wisemoneysports.com and on Twitter at Wise Money Sports. All right, Tyler, before we get into our game breakdown, we have some good ones. I want to play a little game with you. Okay. Now, some of these you might know. I hope not. I try to get. What we're gonna do is we're gonna do a little. Uh, who said it? With, oh. with famous famous coaches quotes. Little who said it, huh? Yes. Yeah, so I'm gonna give you the quote. These are all notable, very notable college football coaches. Some are coaching now. Some maybe aren't coaching now, but have coached recently. I'm not gonna give you too many hints. I've got uh, five quotes for you here. All right. Or four, excuse me. So I'm going to say it, and you kind of give me a reading, or you, you guess. Maybe I'll give you one hint if you ask for it on one of these. It's there almost like go. a lifeline in, uh, in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. So what's this called? Uh, who Said It? Who Said It? Let's who play Who it. Wants to Say It Anyway. <laughs> First quote. When I wake up in the morning and I turn that film on, it's like reading a book, and it's exciting. I don't read books, but if I read books, it would be like reading a book talking about watching film watching uh coach's film you want me to read it again will <laughs> you just expect me to pick a college football coach you said that so Come it's on. someone who likes film uh, well, this is what they said who may not read books it said no it doesn't read a book they said turn on film it's like reading a book i don't read books but if i read books it would be like reading a book i'm gonna go mike leach no, but I like where your head's at. Yeah. You're, I, I, that's not a bad guess. That was Les Miles, the Mad Hatter. Oh, okay. He kind of falls into okay. that similar, you know, crazy guy kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So some of these might uh, all fall in that same category. Okay. Next one. I don't take vacations. I don't get sick. I don't observe major holidays. I'm a jackhammer. <laughs> Sounds like something Dwight Schrute would say. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I don't take vacations. I don't get sick. I don't observe major holidays. I'm a jackhammer. Who said that? We're going to go... If you want a clue, I can tell you. I can give you a clue. I mean, I feel like you should give me the conference for some of these. Uh, Big Ten. Because if you would have given me Big 12, there's no way I'd uncle Les Miles in the first one. All right, fair enough. Well, then, yeah, I can do that. I'll start giving you the conference. So this is a Big Ten coach. He's a jackhammer. <laughs> I'm going to go... We'll go cry. Uh, Christ, Paul Christ. No, Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, right, Harbaugh. 
<laughs> I think that quote was from before his Michigan days, just so you know. Sure uh, this one, uh, it is a Pac-12 coach. And the context of the quote, he's talking about home defense. Uh, it says, I do have a Viking axe by the bed. If I need to whack someone, my wife bought me a Viking axe. The axe side curls down so you can grab the adversary around the neck, and then you can use it to climb walls as a grappling hook. Okay, that's my leash. <laughs> yeah, that's my leash. <laughs> <laughs> he goes in detail no, about well, that not stuff. Too hard. <laughs> okay, this one is not active, but I will say uh, he has coached. He's most famous for coaching in the SEC. Not an active coach. And this one was being asked about Auburn. They were asking him about uh, the school of Auburn. Uh, excuse me, on a fire at the Auburn Library that destroyed 20 books. That was the question. There was a fire at the Auburn Library, destroyed 20 books, and his quote was, the real tragedy was that 15 hadn't been colored yet. <laughs> 15 of the books hadn't been colored yet. Oh, Who God. said that? So it's not Mark Richt. <laughs> no, it's not Mark Richt. And it's an ex-coach? Ex-coach, not currently active in college football um, or really any other coaching ranks, I don't believe. The tragedy about 20 books being destroyed in the Auburn Library is that 15 of them hadn't been what, colored. Auburn yet. or Georgia? Auburn. Yeah, that's I don't know why you said Mark Richt. I thought you said I think you said uh, Georgia to No, start I said off. Auburn. Yeah, you were hearing Georgia. I'm telling you. I'm reading it right here. I said we, we'll go back. Okay. I'm telling you. I said Auburn. There was a fire at the Auburn Library that destroyed 20 books. The real tragedy was that 15 of them had not been colored yet. Some trash talk. Who is a really the he's well known oh. for trash talk? Lane Kiffin? <laughs> no, no. Spurrier, dude. Steve Spurrier. Uh, He's got a lot of great trash talk tra trash talk quotes, by the way. Spurrier, huh? So you got one of those right. And that was tough. I, you just had to pick Spurrier, out of a random so thing. Steve Spurrier. Did, did that Steve was when Spurrier he was have a, a rivalry with uh Well, his, his main rivalry was Tennessee, but he kind of had a rivalry with everyone when he was at Florida. And then he also when he was at South Carolina. So, um, oh, well, does that do it for the game? That does it for the game. That's good, Will. <laughs> All right, uh, you want to break down some games? Let's do it. Do week five games. All right, gonna start it off. Penn State at Maryland. Penn State favored by six and a half. Over under is sixty. So Maryland, they're two and one. Penn State three and zero. Oh. They're both coming off buys. By the way, they both had a bye week last week. So Maryland's offense with new head coach Mike Loxley and the Virginia Tech transfer quarterback Josh Jackson exploded on the scene in the first two weeks, only to be slowed severely in a week three loss to Temple. But the thing nobody's really talking about is how the Terps have held opponents to just 13 points per game, which is good for 13th best in the country. Now, none of these opponents are known for being offensive powerhouses, and many kind of see this matchup against Penn State in College Park as the first real test for Maryland. But is it? Penn State may have scored a ton of points in their first two games against Idaho and Buffalo, but they were held to just 17 points at home against their rival, the Pitt Panthers. So we have two similar teams here, I think. Uh, they both have the ability to blow out inferior opponents, but struggle to move the ball against stiff, stiff competition. This game, to me, really comes down to who can run the ball more effectively, which is where both teams are doing the most damage so far, and also where both teams' defensive strength resides. The two, Both the two teams are only surrendering 70 rushing yards per game right now. And so I kind of give the edge slightly to Penn State here uh, in, in the running game. I think Penn State wins, but I'm actually picking the home dog here in Maryland, plus 6.5. Uh, only thing to be aware of, though, Penn State has won four in a row against Maryland, and by a large margin of that, they, they have not been close games the last four years. But even still, I'm picking Maryland plus the points. Here's the thing. 
Both of these teams have looked slow to start on offense, but I think it's because of the, the schedules and the teams they've played. I'm actually leaning towards the over in this game. Interesting, I which is 60, right? Uh, yes. 15, yeah, 59 and a half, 60. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, it's moved to 60, we'll say. Uh, yeah, I like over the points. I think that both offenses find early success here. Maryland gets that passing game going, and I think that we see an, a surprise over in this game. I think that both defenses get exposed a little bit, and that's kind of the narrative, I think, in this game. Interesting. Yeah, I just kind of feel like both teams rely too much on the run game, and their quarterbacks aren't great. And I think uh, Penn State's defense, especially the defensive line, is super strong. Uh, Gross Matos, the defensive end, that guy's a future NFL guy. Penn State's defense is really stout, and Maryland's is pretty good too. And so, I'm not. I guess I'm a little hesitant to jump on the over, but uh, I just see. I also see more passing coming from Penn State. Their uh, leading rusher, Journey Brown, listed as questionable. He's probably not going to play. Uh, the redshirt sophomore uh, who filled in for him carried the ball ten times for, I think. 80 yards, something like that. So he looked good, but I just think they're going to go to more of a passing attack that's going to slow the clock, stop the, stop the, uh, slow the, slow the game down, I should say, stop the clock a little bit more, and I think both teams score. Gotcha. Sean Clifford's the new quarterback there, by the way. He does have a, a huge arm. He likes to throw the ball deep, but uh, I think a little, some he's mobile too. Some question marks about you know him being able to kind of move the ball effectively, uh, though. So we'll see. Uh, I guess I'm a little hesitant, but I like Maryland there, plus six and a half. There we go. Uh, Washington State. At Utah, Washington State plus six here, over-unders at 56. So both teams here are coming off heartbreaking losses. Uh, we saw Utah lose the big one uh, that you know might keep them out of the Pac-12 South when they lost to USC. Washington State, we, we talked about Washington State losing to UCLA. So, But what is most interesting to me here, uh, with this matchup is we just saw USC carve up the vaunted Ute defense. And I talked I'm, earlier we talked on the show about the new offensive coordinator at USC, Graham Harrell. He brought the air raid system to Southern Cal. Where did Graham Harrell come from? He played quarterback for Washington State head coach Mike Leach when he was at Texas Tech. You might remember him playing with uh, wide receiver uh, Michael Crabtree when they had those those uh, kind of good years at Texas Tech. Now, Leach was one of the first few coaches to introduce the air raid offense to college football. Uh, now, the Cougars did lose to UCLA in Pullman last week, but their offense was not the problem. Anthony Gordon threw nine touchdowns and leads the nation in passing uh, in passing on the season. Leach will certainly see where Utah's defense struggled against USC and take full advantage of it. Oh, and by the way, Kyle Whittingham's team's uh, struggling against air raid offenses is not a new thing, as evidenced by Washington State winning the last four against the Utes and averaging 34 points per game in the process. I love uh, Washington State here getting six points. I think the air raid uh, system is just something... Kyle Whittingham isn't good at stopping. I also like the over 56 as well. I think Washington State, excuse me, Washington State scores, and obviously their defense isn't great either. Utah is going to be able to score. I like the over and Washington State plus six here. I'm on the same side for slightly different reasons. I mean, you mentioned a lot of stuff on the field, how they match up, the past. I think this is more about. I look at teams who have the ability to bounce back. Both of these teams very tough loss last week. It's like. My initial reaction is, wow, Kyle Whittingham at home, he's going to have Utah ready to play, and Washington State may have a hangover because they lost that game they were expected to win by a lot at home, and the way they lost it, up 32 points, whatever. But I think that based on the system, Mike Leach runs, it's weird. I almost don't think there's like the room for air because player emotion has a big part to do with what we see in football. But I think in traditional systems like Utah, where they rely so much on 
blocking and matchups and things like that. I don't think... I think you see it more on the field than that rather than a Mike Leach coach team where it's so individualistic and everything's spread and everything is just quick hitting. I think that if players come in a little bit more dejected, it, it, it you see it far less impact a Washington State type team compared to a Utah type team. So just based on that, I think Washington State comes into this game ready to play and, and kind of erasing what they did last week. Also, Utah, you mentioned they, they struggle against teams who throw the football. Their last eight games against teams with a winning record. Do you know their their uh, record against the spread? No. Zero and eight. Wow. They don't do well against teams with winning records. Washington State, a good team. I don't see a hangover, and we still may get a slow start from from Utah. Now I don't yeah. think either team has that huge hangover that a typical team may have, but I think it's going to impact Utah more. Give me Washington State plus seven. They're going to keep this thing close. Okay, we're both on that. Next up, Kansas State plus five at Oklahoma State. So Kansas State, they're off to a hot start. They're three and zero under new head coach Chris Kleiman. He left FCS powerhouse North Dakota State to take over the Wildcat program after Bill <laughs> Snyder finally decided to retire at the age of 127. North Dakota State is that the? That's where like Carson Wentz played. They're Ugh. they're like one of the best FCS programs. Honestly, they're better than a lot of of uh, of FBS programs. FCS, I meant. Um, so K State, you know what? With Bill Snyder, they may have been known for tough defense and boring offense, but not anymore. The defense is still solid, but Kleiman has this offense humming. They're averaging more than 450 yards per game this season, 280 of which on the ground. And what do we know about Oklahoma State? We know their defense is not good. Oklahoma State will be looking for a bounce-back game, no doubt, and have revenge on their mind as K-State has beaten the Pokes two years in a row, including an embarrassing outing last season in which the Cowboys only managed 12 points. That's super low for Oklahoma State. So I don't have a great read on the spread here because I feel like it could go either way, but I love the over here. The over is 60. We've seen a lot of 60 numbers this week. I expect both teams to score in bunches now with K-State having a better offense, Oklahoma State always giving up points and being able to score points. I'm taking the over here of 60. This is a weird game for me. It's a pass because of contradicting numbers. I would lean Kansas State just because it's a huge uh, mismatch. I mean, my main cap last week on Oklahoma State-Texas was Oklahoma State's history playing Texas. Well, you look at this game. You mentioned Kansas State's won two games in a row. They've actually won, I think, three of four, maybe three of five. And here's the thing that you notice. When you go back and look at these games, either... Oklahoma State wins these nail biters where it's a two, three, four point game, or Kansas State wins in a blowout. I mean, Kansas State, I think it's three of the last five years they've won. Those games haven't been close. That right. shows to me Kansas State kind of knows how to approach Oklahoma State. I know they've changed coaches, kind of different personnel, but it's still hard for me to buck those certain trends. So I initially lean with Kansas State. But I like the Cowboys. I think Oklahoma State is one of the most underrated teams this year. What I saw last week was, honestly, a team that could have beaten Texas if a few things go differently. Yeah. I like that offense. Defense is porous for sure. Uh, I uh, Cowboys are 6-0 and against the spread, against teams with a winning record, and they're 7-0, and their last seven on turf. That's a big deal. Uh, Oklahoma State plays well in these situations, but the Wildcats play well against Oklahoma State. So sometimes when you get contradicting information on both sides, I stay away from those games. That's a pass for me. All right, fair enough. Uh, stay with uh, some Texas schools here. Or excuse me, some an Oklahoma school. So Texas Tech. No, they're right there. Plus 27 at Oklahoma. This line moved, by the way. It opened up at 24. We've seen a lot of movement here. Look, this one's pretty simple. 
The line moved to 27. I think it's still a safe bet to take the Sooners. Texas Tech is in a full-on rebuild mode with new head coach Matt Wells. Their offense has been absolutely terrible, and in their last game against Arizona, their starting quarterback, Alan Bowman, was injured. He's out for many weeks, and there's no Pat Holmes waiting to fill his shoes there. So the question is, how are the Red Raiders going to generate offense? And with the improvement we've seen from Oklahoma on defense under new defensive coordinator Alex Grinch, I think it's a super low number, especially when you consider... You're a mean one, <laughs> Mr. Alex, Alex Grinch. Grinch. Oh, I see it. There you yeah, go. I was on it. I like um, that. Especially, cons- yeah, I mean, look, they only scored 14 points against a really bad Arizona defense in their last game. We know the Oklahoma offense is great. It's going to score. I think it's more about the Oklahoma defense is going to be able to shut down Texas Tech. I know the number 27 seems scary. It seems really large. We saw them blow out UCLA by 30-plus. I think Texas Tech is a really bad team right now, especially on offense. I'm taking Oklahoma minus 27. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, Texas Tech is not the offense we've come to see. They're allowing, well, defensively, I want to start there, they're allowing 13.7 points and only 300 yards a game. So, yeah, but have they played a good offense yet? I don't think so. I don't have their schedule pulled up. But I know they have a bad loss on there. Let me pull it up real quick. Yeah, I mean, they gave up 28 to Arizona. And I think that when you consider, I mean, what is Arizona's offense compared to Oklahoma's? I, I think it's pretty easy to expect Oklahoma to score 40-plus here. And then if you're looking at a 27-point line, can Texas Tech score 17? I'm not sure they can. No, they've played Montana State, UTEP, and Arizona. Not yeah. a good schedule so far. Um but, I mean, you can't ignore those numbers. They have done what they can in those games. But you're right. Oklahoma is certainly going to be able to find success. But you go over to the offensive numbers in general, and we're used to seeing Texas Tech, I mean, with these great offensive numbers, huge offensive right. numbers. And it's just not the same Tech that we're used to seeing. Yeah. I think that there's a huge regression this season. And I honestly think – I agree with you that the 27 seems like a big number. But the last 20 games, Oklahoma's been favored by 20 or more. They're 14-6 and six against the spread. So they cover spreads well. I think they get margin. Now, Texas Tech's a team that they still want to kind of run the up-tempo spread offense. And so they see that a lot in practice. I think Oklahoma needs 60 minutes to cover this margin. I don't like the first half spread. I like the game spread because I think Oklahoma does have incentive to run it up. But they could get off to a bit of a slow start just because of Texas Tech's history covering this kind of an offense. And let's face it, they're going to come into this game right or wrong with some momentum, with some juice behind those defensive numbers so far. You better believe in that defensive locker room, they're talking about that they've only allowed 13 points a game, trying to get that team excited whatever way they can. They're not going to last 60 minutes. Oklahoma pulls away, but they could pull away late. So I like Oklahoma 27 for the game. There we go. All right, next up. Feels so square. <laughs> I know. Well, it's a big number, but even still, look, I feel confident in it. Even Stevens. Virginia, plus 12.5 at Notre Dame. This line also opened up, I think, close to 11, so there's some movement there. Uh, look, Virginia may be 4-0 for the first time in more than a decade, and we both have been on them all year. We really like Bronco Mendenhall. I like uh, Bryce. Um, oh, what's his name? The quarterback. Uh, why can't I think of this? Uh, oh, this uh, Perkins. Coming. Bryce Perkins. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, but look, they had a real I scare. call him Bryce IHOP. <laughs> That's Tyler with the dad jokes. Just coming in hot. <laughs> uh, but they had, look, they had a, a real scare at home last week against Old Dominion. Uh, they were down at halftime, I believe. They needed a big second half to come back and win. Uh, look, I think that it's a real chance that that was kind of a look-ahead game for them where they weren't spending a lot of time on on 
Old Dominion and they were kind of looking ahead to Notre Dame. I hope that that's what it is for their sake. They were spending extra time on Notre Dame. You know they have Notre Dame. They've had that game circled all offseason and they've been looking forward to it. It would certainly be a statement to go into South Bend and beat the Irish. But look, the Irish are wide awake now after losing to Georgia and they're looking for a bounce back win. Not a lot to go off of when you're looking at past history between these two teams. Uh, you know, even though Notre Dame plays five ACC games a year, they've only played uh, these two teams have only played each other twice in the last 30 years. The last one being in 2015. So I don't love this game, and the number seems kind of right on for me, right where I'd expect it to be, 12 and a half. Uh, so I don't see a lot of value in betting the spread. I'm likely staying away. The total is 50. If I had to lean one way or the other, I think I'd lean under here. Actually, I don't see Virginia being able to score a lot of points. Bryce Perkins has had a knee brace on since like week two. The Notre Dame offense, it's really good, but I think Virginia's, Virginia's defense is very good. So I think if I'm leaning one way, I'm leaning under 50, but I don't like the spread here. I would lean with Virginia in the points. I think that Virginia keeps this thing close. I think their run defense has been underrated, and I know it's so easy to say, well, no one's played anyone, but really, if you look at everybody's schedule, no one's really played anybody this, to this point in the season, and Virginia's played Pittsburgh, Florida State. I mean, you can debate how good those teams are, but... It's something. It's all we have this year. They're allowing 2.2 yards of carry, this this Virginia defense. I think Bronco Mendenhall has his team ready to play. I completely agree. Last week was a look-ahead game. Don't put any stock into Old Dominion. And look what happened when they gave up those 17 points. They came roaring back, scored 28 unanswered. I think Virginia keeps this thing close and shocks Notre Dame. And I'd still see a bit of a letdown. From shocks last... like win? You think they can win? Uh, no, 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 Just no. Keep keeps it close, it close okay. against the spread. Um. I think that Notre Dame eventually will pull away, but I think that Notre Dame is going to have the opposite effect. You said you think they're going to come in motivated off last week's loss, knowing there's no margin for error. I think they come into this week's loss with the assumption that... They're not, out, not, out not of the, the playoffs, kind of. But these are 19-year-old kids. If they would have won last week, I mean, their path is pretty clear to the playoffs. Now, they lost that game. I don't know what was being said. I don't know the feeling... But I could see them getting off to a bit of a slow start against a hungry Virginia team who's undefeated. Yeah. And I love Bronco Mendenhall. I mean, you asked me the question earlier, Gus Mel's on Tom Herman. If you were to start a program today, who would you rather have, Bronco Mendenhall or Brian Kelly? Brian Kelly. I mean, look, I really like Bronco Mendenhall. Brian Kelly's a, a great coach, I though. think it's a debatable question. And Bronco Mendenhall, Bronco Mendenhall, his whole career has won at BYU. This is what I always say about coaches. Everyone's all up on... Uh, uh, Matt Campbell at Iowa State until he wins there. I'm not. I'm not going to say he can win. What did we see Urban Meyer do? Sorry to bring Jim Harbaugh up, but a lot of these great all-time coaches win everywhere they go. Right. Bronco Mendenhall has not had a chance to win anywhere but BYU. Where guess what? He won double-digit right games at BYU. A he, ton. Does, he does more now with he less. Now he comes to Virginia. Yeah. I think the next couple of years Bronco Mendenhall could kind of rise up, and I'm not taking him over Brian Kelly, but I think it's a more debatable question that you just threw Brian Kelly out there. I think if you switch programs and give Brian Kelly Virginia and give Bronco Mendenhall Notre Dame that's when like, they took over, real one, yeah. I don't know how those those programs go. I, I think Bronco Mendenhall is a great coach. I do. I look, Virginia I like I like them and I like Virginia. I, I'll be rooting for Virginia here. I like I love when these like teams that aren't traditionally football powerhouses and have been terrible for so long kind of come up and have these great years. I'll be rooting for them pretty much the whole year, but. I just think that Ian, look, I really like Ian Book. I think he's really good. The, the Notre Dame run game uh, isn't what it has been in the past, and you're right. The Virginia run defense is great, and so I expect them to be able to slow the run, but can they keep 
Ian Book from kind of, you know, he's really good at extending plays with his legs. He's, you know, they have a lot of targets downfield. I just think that Notre Dame, you may be right about it being a letdown moment for they, these kids feel like they're out of the playoff race. But I just almost, I feel like the talent is just that much better for Notre Dame. So I just want to stay away. I just don't feel great either way. I always like imagining storylines and headlines and seeing if what they would say after the game would make sense. And I, and I could totally see the narrative being after the game, wow, Notre Dame looked so good against Georgia. How could they let Virginia stay in it? I think that could definitely yeah. be the narrative after the game. And we hear that all the time where yeah. people overreact to one game against a great team. I think Michigan was a lot about Wisconsin. And I, I think that right. Notre Dame game was a lot about Georgia not being as good as we thought. So we'll see. Okay, fair. Definitely could be true. So, all right, this next game, this is one of my favorite bets of the whole weekend. Ohio State minus 17 and a half at Nebraska. This line opened at 15. It has already moved two and a half points. It is going to continue to move. I can't believe this is your best game. I love this game too. Man. I love this game. So yeah. the over under 66 and a half, by the way. But look, Nebraska's defense, very, very bad. It was terrible last year. It hasn't gotten much better. They just gave up 38 points to Illinois and they needed 15 fourth quarter points just to barely win that game, by the way. So what do you imagine Justin Fields and Ryan Day can do here? Look, I know this was supposed to be a big matchup and tough road game for Ohio State before the season started, but with how the Huskers have looked so far, I'm super skeptical. Look, Lincoln is a tough place to play. There's no doubt about that. Great game day environment. But Ohio State right now is looking like a national championship contender legitimately. I just don't see how Nebraska will be able to score points in this defense either. The Buckeye defense has been lights out this year. It's been, it, excuse me, this year. It's been so good. And I especially can't see how they're, how Nebraska is going to be able to get stops on defense and keep Ohio State off the board. This is my best bet. Bet the fucking house. Take out a second mortgage if you have to. Uh-oh. Ohio State first half will only be nine or nine and a half here. I love the first half. I also love the full game spread. The Huskers are going to get blasted. Last week I said to avoid the Ohio State game against Miami of Ohio because I thought the market had caught up to them. The, the number was like 39 and a half. I said avoid the first half line. What are they doing against Miami, Ohio? I know it's just Miami, Ohio. They were up 49 to 5 at half. They won 76 to 5. Ohio State is going to blow out Nebraska. 17 and a half is not even nearly close enough for this. Take Ohio State first half, take them total, take them however you can get them. Yeah, Scott Frost and this Nebraska team, very overrated. I mean, to start the year, everyone's talking about them winning the Big Ten. Yeah. Give them a couple years to get some recruits. I think I still think Scott Frost is a pretty good coach, but I mean, yeah, the he expectations is. were so high for them this year. It was just Right. And he, look, he can he I think he's a very good coach. He could still be a great coach, but he the, the Nebraska program was terrible when he took it over. So and they went four and eight last year. Yeah, no, this this line was weird to me when I saw it. I love. I bet Ohio you this State line. This game. I bet you this line closes twenty three. I seriously think it's going to get bet up that high. And they have incentive to run it up. I right. mean, that's what you have to look at often. Is there a reason for these teams to run it up? Ryan Day, I think, wants to start proving a point in the Big Ten. And Nebraska, although it's kind of funny, although they're not that good this year, they're still Nebraska. You know, yeah. it's still a team that you have no. I mean, I'm biased, but most people, I feel like, don't have an issue running it up on little good old Nebraska. You know, most teams want to do I that. I think that's mostly just you. I, I know <laughs> you're probably Tyler right. hates Nebraska as a Colorado fan. but stand up. Uh, I don't think people go into Nebraska saying, we're going to run don't it up think on them. They, I don't even think they need incentive to be able to run it up on them. Based on, like, the history of who Nebraska is, that, that, that if you go into, what is Nebraska's record this year? Uh, they are 2-1, and one, I think, or 2 uh, 
three and one. Sorry, three and one. Are they really three and one? Yeah, they lost to CU, and then they've won their, their other three games, but they haven't been against good people. They're three and one. Okay, I thought they were two and two or one and three nope. or something like that. No, nope, but it hasn't. I mean, they've only played Illinois. They well, played. Let me, let me ask you this then: If you're Ryan Day, do you? Is it any different going into a three and one Nebraska and a three and one Rutgers? That's what I mean. To me, I think that. I, for him, I don't think it is. I mean, like, yeah, only from the fact that they know that going on the road to Nebraska is a is a much tougher place to play and than it's like, going. It's at like the Nebraska, Rutgers. the allure exactly, of the program. Exactly the allure. The yeah. fact that if you beat Nebraska seventy one zero or you beat Rutgers seventy one zero, people are going to say more positive things about the yeah. Nebraska. Well, here's dude. I mean, the, the thing is that I just don't even think I think Ohio State is so good. I honestly, I'm like about to pick them to win the national championship. I'm that close. Without this game will mean a lot. But because every they, time we say this, the teams end up not covering the spread. But Ohio State is—they uh, uh, didn't cover week one. Since then, they're three and one, three and zero against the spread, and these have been big numbers. No, but every time we say, "All right, this team's going to win the national championship," it seems like there's like the letdown. We didn't say that last week. That's true. Yeah, but so, but I mean, look, and this will be much more me. indicative. I know they haven't played really good opponents. They did blow out Cincinnati. That's probably their best opponent so far. Indiana actually is a pretty decent team as far as you know bad big 10 teams go they blew them out too and that was on the road look i just i i def what i definitely think is that they're going to want to score early to shut up the the nebraska fans right. because it is a huge stadium it's loud it's not an easy place to play i think that ohio state's going to want to get on the board early to quiet the fans and i just don't i just don't get it. i don't see how anyone could look at this game and say yeah nebraska's going to keep it close i don't see it that scares me though that you say that when, when we do these these this is another trap I'm game you're saying? Notes. <laughs> this it is like seems a... like it. Because I like to bet some of these games. I go back and listen, and this is a good starting point for for these handicaps. And my thought right now is just like, I love Ohio State. This seems like such an easy game to pick. But they've been like that most year, and they've actually most this year, and they've actually know, they've been like that too. So outside of the FAU me. game where they let the backdoor cover where they were up thirty five nothing at halftime, uh, they they've blown out everybody. I'm just it scares me whenever we start talking about it. It doesn't that. scare me. It's my best bet. <laughs> okay, that, that terrifies me. That, that cockiness, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, my best bets, excluding last week, have been good, just so you know. The, the Michigan State one was bad. That one I even said was a trap. I don't feel like this is a trap. I just think that people are wrong here, but whatever. So you know, I still like Ohio State. I'm still on your side. It just it terrifies me we'll taking see, these man. kind of games. We'll see. Uh, last game we got here. Southern Cal on the road at Washington. Southern, uh, Washington 10-point favorites here. So the Huskies got the bounce back win at BYU last week, where they fared much better than the Trojans, by the way. But these are a common opponent for them. Uh, Washington wins 45-19, and they got Jacob Eason, their quarterback, back on track, by the way. He had three touchdowns, almost 300 yards. He looked really sharp. USC, on the other hand, they got a huge win at home against Utah last week. And with all the job speculations surrounding Clay Helton, we talked about it, the Trojans, they kind of need this one if they want to keep Clay Helton around, if the players want their coach to stay around. Uh, now, USC won this game last time they played in 2016 in Seattle, and they've won three of the last four, dating back to 2011. I mentioned before when we were doing the Washington State-Utah breakdown about the whole thing with Graham Harrell runs the air raid and so does Mike Leach and how that applied to playing Utah. This is the same thing. So Graham Harrell, he, they have the air raid system, and yeah, while the air raid system has been really good against the Utah defense, it's been the opposite against Washington's defense. All you need to know to uh to look excuse me all you need to look at to get a decent indicator of how chris peterson's washington teams have fared against the air raid is his record against in-state rival and air raid team washington state washington has beaten washington state six straight years nine of the last ten 
Uh, Chris Peterson's undefeated against Mike Leach. That's five years in a row. And in those five games, he's held the Cougars offense to an average of 14 points per game. That's ridiculous when you consider that Washington State is typically an offensive powerhouse. 14 points per game. Peterson knows how to stop the air raid. This is a system thing. He's not afraid of it. And with the third-string quarterback, Matt Fink, likely being uh, starting in place of Keaton Slovis, who is questionable with his, I think it's a concussion, I'm loving Washington here. Take the Huskies and the points. I don't care if USC has better talent. Washington uh, head coach Chris Peterson just knows how to shut down this air raid system. I like Washington here. Yeah, um, I think Washington's going to go in there complete. Or excuse me, I think USC is going to go in there completely high off last week's win and um, let down. Yeah, let down. I need to plug this in real quick before this thing yeah, dies on me. Right. Look, for me, it's just I love that. Uh, you know, that that's why I was so heavy on. Washington State against Utah. I love Utah. I think Cal Whittingham's great, but if a coach shows me that he struggles against air raid offenses and, and one's coming to town, a good one at that, I'm not going to pick him. And with the opposite thing with here with Washington, uh, Chris Peterson knows how to shut that that system down. And the air raid isn't just a team that likes to throw the ball. It is a specific style of, of play they use. It's a system that uh, was perfected, uh, especially by Mike Leach of Texas Tech. He brought it to Washington State. Chris Peterson knows how to stop it. That's why I'm all over him. What do you think about Jacob Eason? Uh, look, I like him. He struggled really bad against that game in, uh, against Cal uh, at home in week two. But Cal, very stingy defense. I like their head coach, Justin Wilcox. I just don't think that uh, Southern Cal has the kind of physical, stingy defense. It's not terrible, but it's not it's not enough to get in Jacob Eason's head. And I just, I, You and I are both the same when we talk about Chris Peterson. I think he's one of the best coaches in college football. Is that line nine still? Ten, I think. Ooh. I think it's ten. Even still, I like it. I like Washington minus 10 here. I love 9.5, but I lean 10 too. Okay. I think Washington takes care of business here. Okay, fair enough. Well, that's all I got. That's all you got, Will? Yep, that's it for the games. That's it for the show. Thank yeah. you guys for listening. You know, we said it last week. If you guys want to help grow the show, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you rate and review. Give us good ratings. If you don't like it, give us bad ratings. We're not just asking for good ones. Tell us what you think. Uh, make sure you listen. We're on anywhere I'm you can. I'm only asking for good okay, ones. Okay, Tyler just wants the good reviews. Uh, anywhere you can find podcasts, make sure you follow us on Twitter too, at CFB Weekly. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>